he's discipling. We have people who are, who are helping and taking in orphans in sub-Saharan Africa. We have Tents of Mercy who's reaching out to the people of Israel to let them know that their Messiah has come and all they have to do is embrace him. We're helping plant churches all over all over the U.S. In fact, when we first connected with ARC, ARC had not planted yet, but I think it was 80-something churches. And uh, two weekends ago, on Easter weekend, then ARC planted its 500th church. And you and I and Celebration Church got to be a part of that. 500 churches in in the United States that are life-giving, making a difference, meeting people right where they are kind of churches. In fact, if you're here with military or whatnot, and you're like, I kind of like this Celebration Church thing. Where can I find another church that feels like that? Well, a lot of the art churches kind of flow the way we flow. We're not a denomination by any means, but people tend to lock arms and help each other out when they just kind of connect relationally and in ministry flow and style and so you can look on their website and you can potentially find an ARC church, A-R-C um, church, Association of Related Churches, if you're going to be moving and connecting and, and, uh, and so there, is, there are those <coughs> points we help support and, and help a house of faith here to minister to kids and teens and to make a difference and we do lots of outreaches ourselves but every piece of that Every piece of that comes over to a place that if it's not in a heart of love, then what is the point? It all has to be an expression of love. It's not about how much sweat or how many dollars or any of that. It's about an expression of love. So let's have our giving this morning be simply an expression of love. Gentlemen, you can go ahead and pass those along. Those um, who are... Uh, you also, your prayer request, this is a great opportunity for those uh, to be put in as well. Uh, like my wife said, you could be able to, uh, don't you like her new haircut? Yeah. <laughs> so she walked in the front door, I kind of had to, to do a double take. So, yes, you're my wife. And uh, anyways, and so uh, she didn't warn me that she was going to cut it off. She She just... She just cut it off. And, and one of the last times that she did that, it was, it was a little bit, it was a little bit in spite. It was a little bit. And this one, there was no spite involved in this one. And so uh, she just likes the do. And so do I. Um, anyways, I don't know why I got off topic on that. I just looked over and you look so pretty and I had to say something. And so... Uh, Anyways, again, that's why I got off. My lovely wife said, you can follow along in the notes. You distract me, woman. And um, a story of the last 22 years. And um, uh, anyways, uh, you can follow along in your bulletin, in your, in your paper notes there that you got on the way in. But also you can follow along you know, on your app um, if you would like to or online on our website. We've been simply looking at this concept that Jesus said some pretty outrageous things. There's some things that Jesus said that that kind of honestly, when we look at them, um, they rub us the wrong way. They just bother us. There's a lot of things Jesus said, and we're like, yeah, I'm on point with that. I get that. In fact, that seems real Jesus-like. That's the kind of things you would think Jesus would say. And then there's some other things that Jesus says that we're like, seriously, Jesus? I, 
I didn't think that would kind of fit in your wheelhouse. I, and, and some of the things you said kind of ruffle some feathers and, and, and upset some people and, and throw some things off. And we've been looking at some of those things. Easter Sunday, we kicked it off with the whole concept of Jesus giving his body and blood as a sacrifice for us. And we celebrate that in what sounds gruesome, honestly. To someone who's on the outside, the act of communion seems, seems pretty gruesome. Because we take this element that represents his body and we eat it. And this, and this element that represents his blood and we drink it. And we're, this isn't remotely anything weird or if we're <clears throat> at all. It just, sounds, it just sounds bizarre. Because we are remembering that our relationship with God isn't based on us showing up on a Sunday morning. Us reading our Bibles during the week. Us having our sweet little prayer times. And all those things are wonderful and life-giving and help us to grow. But our relationship with God and us being right with God is not based on any of that. But it's based on what Jesus did. And we take that in and we remember in the act of communion is to remember what he did. And that it's because of what he did that he made us right with God. That not because of what we have done or plan to do. And then we, <clears throat> uh, last week, um, we talked about something. And uh, I just blanked. It does. There's something. We need to get a new rug. This sucks it right out of my feet. But we talked about something that was, oh, I know what we talked about. You all wanted me to forget. You know when we bring this back up. We talked about love your enemies. We talked about love ISIS. We talked about love those who rail against us and plot against us and those who, who just don't get our connection with Christ or our devotion to, to God or this thing that, that we're to love those who have no care for us whatsoever. And this week we're talking about the concept that trouble, is, trouble comes, trouble happens. And when Jesus said this, this is something that we don't want to hear from our God. We don't want this to be done. We, we want to hear something else. But some of the things Jesus said seem completely outrageous because we were looking at things completely wrong. Your perspective changes everything. And so <clears throat> I've uh, shared with you all before about uh, our Suburban, our, our vehicle, and, and the, you look at the door and there's this little dent. Well, I finally got to upgrade into a, an adult car. An adult car is a car that I will not turn over to my children to let them drive. And so I get my first adult car of my life. And so Cutie always gets the family car, and I get whatever happens to have gas in it. And so, and, uh, so I finally got it, and our adult car... Um, that my, the Suburban has this dent in the door. We're on the driver's side door. You cannot miss it. You get in and it's got this little, this, this good-sized little dent. And every time I see this dent, I smile. It is my favorite dent. I have never had a dent I have liked, ever. This car had no dents in it. This car was not all beat up and messed up. It was just fine. And one day it gets a dent in it. And I love this dent. And the reason that I love this dent, and I'll eventually get it fixed. But for now, I still, it's a source of joy for me. I appreciate the dent. Because when the way the dent took place is my wife was at home with the two little ones. And if anybody knows my sweetheart, you know that she, in fact, she's got her blue cup with her right now she 
constantly has a source of hydration with her. She constantly has a drink with her. And so she doesn't go anywhere without her, as it's been come to call, her Psy cup. And so we have our very own Aunt Psy. I don't know. And so, and uh, anyway, she always has a cup. When she put the cup, uh, as a lot of parents do, when you got two little ones, you're loading up, buckling in car seats, and sticks it on the hood. You know you'll see it, you'll get it. So she sticks it on the hood, loads the little girls up, buckles them up in our carport, and has the nice big pillars in our carport. And she sticks it in reverse and sees her precious cup. And immediately thinks, I need to get my cup. And jumps out of the car to get the cup. Just this instinctive reaction. Well, she missed a step. It's called putting it in park. It's needful. It's a good step. And she missed that one. And so it's still in reverse. And as she put her foot on the ground, which she's not a super tall lady, and um, in, a, in a bigger vehicle, she puts her foot on the ground and one foot still up, and the car starts moving back. And she's just kind of stuck, and she can't reach the brake pedal. She can't do anything. The girls are about to shoot off into the street. And thankfully, the door is open, the pillar's there, and poof, the door hits against the pillar. The car is saved. My wife doesn't get knocked to the ground and potentially run over with my children in the street. And it could have been really, really ugly. And she was so concerned because I can get a little uptight about things that cost money sometimes. I'll admit it. We're going to have an open moment here. And so I can get a little uptight. And that's all she saw was dollars, dollars, dollars. And so, and, um, and this will tell you how short this woman is. Is all she saw was this little ding on the corner. There's a huge ding right here. But it's like above her head height. And so as she's like, Brand, I got to show you something. I got to show you something. And she had told me the story. And, and we come around the corner and she's pointing at this sad little thing at the bottom. And I'm like, well, what about this one? She's like, I didn't even see that one. Oh, my gosh. And I think she's about to throw up in the middle of the yard. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know how you didn't see this. She's like, I've been in and out of this car like five times today. And she didn't see the ginormous dent in the door. And so she's just so concerned that I'm going to be upset. And I'm like, babe, that, I, I love that dent because of what could have taken place. Had something not stepped in and intervened, the path that things were on were ugly. Something had to. That's why we call the Friday before Easter Good Friday. We could call it our favorite Friday. It's the best Friday ever. But if you had been a spectator on that Friday, nobody called it good. It was ugly. It was brutal. Jesus' flesh was torn and he was nailed to a cross and it's the day he died. But you and I call it good because of what took place for us. Our lives were on a crash course and they were already messed up and it was only getting uglier. And thank goodness that that intervened and brought salvation, brought restitution, brought things back to where they should be. And that's what that my favorite dent did. And everything we need to understand when we look at the scriptures has to be viewed through the lens of why Jesus showed up. We've looked at this every time. John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
That is not why. The chief message of the church should not be you are jacked up, you are messing up, and you are going to hell on a grease pole. That should not be it. That should, and I don't know why. So many people who are Christ followers, I believe they had a real experience with God, and they got wrapped up into something else, and they're judgmental and condemning and just unpleasant to be around and are hateful to the people God so desperately loves. So desperately loves. Because guess what? When, when Jesus went to that cross, he was alone. There wasn't anybody understanding. All his closest people deserted him. We, we were called enemies of God. We looked at last week. We were enemies when he did that. And that's the way he treated us. So my goodness, our assignment is to preach the good news that in Christ there can be reconciliation. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about your hang-ups. That we come to him and he deals with those. Are there life changes that need to take place without a doubt? Are there things that bring life and bring death into relationships in life without a doubt? But the message is that we have hope in him that he came to save the world. Now let's take this concept of saving, and this is going to set up the rest of what we're going to be looking at today. Okay? Anybody seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Okay? Not an easy movie to watch. Brutal. Absolutely punch you in the gut, make you cry. Brutal movie. From the first scene all the way through the end. I would say that if you could define one, use one word to describe the, the context and the goings-on of the movie Saving Private Ryan, we could say it was full of trouble. It was full of hardship. It was full of difficulty. Anytime somebody needs saving, there was trouble involved. I love the dent because my wife and my daughters needed saving, and the dent did it. There was trouble involved. The fact that Jesus came and his assignment was to save the world, we had to understand that trouble happens. Now, y'all don't get all self-righteous on me. I know when you saw blank happens, you were thinking we were going a different direction this morning. And so we are not that church. So uh, (laughs) my wife says it's because she didn't write the notes. So and so and um, but trouble Trouble happens. Let's look at John 16, 17, I mean, uh, 27 through 33. It says, No, the Father himself loves you because you love me and have believed I came from God. I came from the Father and entered into the world and am, and am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. What does he want you to have? Peace. What do we have in Christ? Peace. He is called the Prince of Peace. Okay? 
We have to understand that because this next phrase is a phrase we don't want to hear. We don't want the God of the universe, we don't want in flesh to come and tell us this, that in this world you will have trouble. It doesn't say might have trouble. It's a possibility. If you don't do everything just right and you don't have all of your stuff in order, then it's going to happen. No, it says in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We need to understand. We need to understand this. That as Christ followers... There's trouble happens in this world. We still live in a fallen world. Every person you run into is a free moral agent, and they can choose life or they can choose death at any second. They can choose how they're going to respond to you. They can choose how they're going to deal with themselves. All of these different things. We live in this window called mortality, which lets us step over from death into life. It's a beautiful thing, but not everybody embraces it. Not everybody understands that that's what this whole point of, of mortality, of our life, of our living is about, is being able to step over from death into life because we start on the death side. That's where we start on. And we step over into life because of what Jesus has done. See, it's not that, he is, that we in this world should expect defeat. Not remotely. He's overcome the world. We should expect victory. But to expect that there would be no trouble in life and to feel blindsided when difficulties come is foolish. That's why Jesus told us. He's let us know. He's given us the heads up. Trouble is going to happen. Now, I am a raving optimist. I mean, just a raving, screaming optimist. I just don't see trouble and issues and different things taking place and honestly it's got me in trouble sometimes because I won't genuinely count the cost because things that could go wrong I don't think they could go wrong and so thank goodness I've got a strong board who's able to to speak into and bring some wisdom as we're as the church is being led and and people who can who can pray and do some different things but that's just my natural nature I'm just a raving optimist and I found, and initially I thought that that was a place that, that helped me in my faith. That I was able to be a, a better person of faith because I was an optimist. When the truth is, is that optimism just sees all of the good and pessimism sees all the bad. But a realist sees what's real. And the truth and the promises of God are real. They're not for us to align our optimistic nature to align to. It's they're the truth. Realists can embrace it just as anybody else. A pessimist can go, okay, I embrace that God is telling me the truth and embrace it. You don't have to be hardwired like me as an optimist. In fact, I have found that there were times I was leaning on my optimistic nature and not on the promise of God. That was what I was leaning on. It wasn't, I wasn't walking in faith. I wasn't trusting God. It was the Bible's promise said, yeah, this is a good result to come. Sure, that's what I'm expecting anyways. It wasn't because of what God said. It was because of what God said aligned with what Brandon said. That's not the right way. We have to take what God said and align our lives to that. And what he's told us is in every circumstance we can have peace because he's overcome. 
So when trouble and difficulty come, we don't have to feel blindsided and we don't have to freak out. And we don't have to think the ship's going down and all the wheels are coming off and as ugly as it possibly could be, that's where it's going. We don't have to think that because we can have peace and he's overcome the world. What a guy that wrote the bulk of the New Testament The bulk of the New Testament, Paul, this guy dealt with all kinds of hardships, all kinds of difficulties. In fact, he he lines them out in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This isn't in your notes. You can just listen to me. We we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distress, beatings, imprisonments, riots, Hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, impurity, understanding patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and insincere love. In truth and speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. There's another point where he's talking and he talks about the different things that he was beaten with rods three times. This is a guy doing the will of God. But he was a victor every time. He came out of a strong every time. He was Whipped with 39 lashes five different times. He had many death threats. He was shipwrecked three times. I think people would finally decide, I'm not getting on a boat with Paul. I'm just not doing it. This boy, just boats and him don't work. I'm not getting on a boat with Paul. He floated for 24 hours in the ocean, bobbed around. He was under arrest for two years without a trial. One of the times he was shipwrecked, he finds his way to the shore. He's still a prisoner, and he's having to do prisoner work, which they needed a fire. So the, the, his guards are sitting on the side, and they send him out to go and to gather the firewood. And he gathers the firewood, and in all of his gathering stuff, he picks a bunch of wood up, and he throws it on the fire. It was a little bit of a chilly day. Serpents are dormant in the cold, but when the fire comes, woohoo! They wake up. And they woke up. This serpent wakes up in the middle when he throws the sticks on and jumps out of the fire and bites him on the hand. Bites him on the hand. He's just doing what he's told, and he's got a snake on his hand. This is not supposed to happen. And I love what Paul does. In fact, I think Taylor Swift wrote a song about it. He just shook it off. I think that was her inspiration. I really do. He did. He shook it off in the fire. That's what the scripture said. Boop. Hey, I got to get my cheesy joke in at least once. And he shook it off. And everybody sat and waited for him to puff up and die. Because everyone who got bit by one of these on this island dies. And they're just waiting. They're like, this guy was, had to be the worst criminal ever because God did not let him escape. And he sent the serpent to bite him. And he just moves on. And then he doesn't die. And they go to the other end of the extreme. And they go, this guy's a god. And they try to worship him. And, and, and all of a sudden that gives him a platform. And the bulk of that island comes to Christ. Because of the way he dealt with a snake bite when he was being treated like a servant. When he was just following after God and he just didn't deal with it. He just shook it off. It ended up becoming a platform for him to be able to do it. 
The truth is we don't have to fear trouble. Jesus has overcome the world. Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore don't worry about trouble, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now some of you are like, Brandon, I'm in the middle of some trouble right now. And I really wanted to hear that everything's going to be rosy and peachy keen. And my anxiety level just went through the roof when you said, Jesus tells us trouble's coming. No, it's not to have your anxiety spike. It's the direct opposite. It's the direct opposite. The trouble we have no control over, the trouble that we're fully victimized by, the trouble that blindsides us, that's the stuff that anxiety and creeps us out. The, the stuff where we win, that's just a wonderful challenge. That's just part of life. Jesus told us this so that we could have peace, not so that we could be freaked out and wonder when the next, the, the next bad thing is going to be happened, is going to take place. The thing is, is why, why are we surprised by trouble? How many times are we just, we're just surprised by it? We just feel blindsided by it. Because we do. All of us do. When we know that these things take place. And I honestly, I believe it's part of our DNA, our hardwired nature. And the reason why Jesus had to point this out is because our hardwired nature, we were built and put in the garden and placed there in this place of perfection and beauty and designed to live forever. And we are hardwired to not have to deal with that kind of adversity. And the fact that the trouble bothers us and blindsides us speaks to the fact that we were wired for a a different environment. We're wired for heaven. We're wired for God's presence. We're wired for that. And Jesus, as we steps in, he has to remind us that in this world, yes, you're wired for, you're wired for eternity and, and heaven is your home as you've placed your faith in me. But in this world, you're going to have trouble. But don't let it freak you out. I've overcome the world. What we need to make sure and understand is, I'm going to pull this point up. You don't have to mess with it on the slides yet. Is that work doesn't equal trouble. Sometimes we have a miss idea that somehow just having to do things oh I had to get out of bed it's already bad I had to push the little thing to make the toast life's rough it didn't stick the first time and it popped up and the little bread fell out and it landed on last night's leftovers and I had to get new bread life's hard no, no, that's not what, there's parts of it. And let's go back to original creation. Let's look at Genesis 1. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. Um, our first assignment, our first assignment were to be caretakers of this planet. Let's not forget that. If, if sin had not taken us down a different path, we would still have an assignment. There would still be things to do, and we would be stewards and caretakers of this planet. Just like you're a steward and caretaker of your home. 
we should be stewards and caretakers of this planet. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Be ruler over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Fill the earth and subdue it. Anything that needs to be subdued. Jesus, or God created in creation, created a garden. That's everything put in place and everything in order. But the rest of creation was just going. And there was this place where as the humanity was going to populate and begin to take over that they were going to carry on the model that was already given for them and begin to subdue it so guess what there was going to be this place that there was some daily work and work does not equal hardship there's some things we're hardwired to do there's some things that as we're as we're here and we're plugging these things in it's work to come and set it up and most sundays there's no hardship along with it every once in a while cutie will text me and said how's the morning going She's not saying, are you sitting on the front row sipping coffee and slightly snoozing? She knows we're carrying heavy things in. We're plugging things together. What she wants to know is, did everything just totally freak out? Did everything just break? Is everything working? Did somebody lose something? Are there some hardship involved? In fact, your employer, if he's a good employer, sends you out on a job and then he'll check on you. And he'll ask a question potentially and say, are you having any trouble? That doesn't mean, are you sitting at Starbucks and enjoying a a nice latte and having your feet rubbed? He's expecting you to be taking care of the job. What he wants to know, if if there's any trouble, is are things going wrong? Are things not going the way they should? What we need to understand is we're still part of this process. God is a creative God, and he made us creative people. And there are physical expressions of that, and there are things we do. So we can't, we can't, say that work always equals trouble but in this in this life we will have there will become some difficulties there are times where we can't figure out where the buzz is coming from we call that hardship we call that trouble we didn't say having to plug it together was trouble but there's some things where things come in and we have to figure some things out see ephesians 2 8 says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works. Our salvation is not about earning it in works. But in Christ, we have these things that we do, these good works that he's prepared for you, individually, a a beautiful assignment for you. For you. Also, trouble doesn't mean that we're away from God's love. He warned us that we would have trouble, but take heart, he's overcome the world. Because so many times when things go wrong, if you don't understand his love for you, you can think, man, God's deserted me. I've had a rough go of it lately. God's obviously abandoned me. No, not remotely. Romans 8, 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, as the first thing Paul says, or hardship? Is, are those things going to separate us from the love of God? No way. Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, for as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more 
than conquerors through him who loved us. His love for us makes us come out on top of all of these things that are trying to wedge in between God's love and us. He says, are these things going to separate us from God's love? They should not. You have a proper understanding of God's love, and none of this stuff will get you off point or off base on how much God loves you and is for you. In fact, James 1 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires are enticed. It's our own misplaced things that we're pursuing and going after that take us off point. I love it that Nat in our school of ministry pointed out that God's God's love makes sure that no experience in our life is wasted. None. Our difficulties, our failures, all these different things. And if we have the wrong mentality of God, we can say, well, God, because of all the good that came out of that, God put that in my life to bring about this good. No, no, no. God's love is so good that though, uh, though there were evil intents on other fronts, God can take everything and work it to our good. As we close, I want us to make sure and understand that Jesus overcoming trouble in our lives can help others in their trouble. More than likely, more than likely, your greatest place of ministry and encouragement to another person is where you had the grace of God intersect your own trouble and you stood in a place of peace and trust in him and saw that victory and that outcome come in that place. That is where your strongest place of testimony and ministry will come from. Was this moment, these places that you despised and you hated, but you leaned on God and you said, you're the one that overcomes and I'm trusting you to overcome. And he overcame. And then someone, you're able to speak into someone else's life. 2 Corinthians 1-2 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. When we understand, when we see the victory that comes, then all of a sudden, struggle isn't something, and the difficulties isn't something that has to become intimidating or feel like it's a wedge between us and God or, or, or any of these other things. We understand that this world will bring attacks. It will do these things, but he has overcome it. Our household, we love the, the, the Rocky movies, and uh, it's amazing when my boys watch one of the Rocky movies, and the truth is, is Rocky wins at the very end. And it looks like he gets his head beat in the whole movie. I mean, he just lo- looks like he's losing. He, he's just, it's just whooped. He just, he's just having a horrible beat down, and then he wins at the end. And you know what my boys want to do when the movie's over? Box. I'm like, did you not see that? That guy almost died. But he won. They're ready to hit it and ready to go. That victory in the end all of a sudden said, you know what? I'm not so concerned anymore about the struggle. The victory comes in the end. 
You and I, we don't have to lay our heads down freaked out about the next day. He, God is already waiting on us in that moment. He's already brought us the victory. We, when, when the phone call comes or the difficulty in the relationship comes or any of these things come, we don't have to freak out because Jesus has overcome for us. See, Jesus' love for us is completely outrageous. And let's live outrageous lives that point people to the outrageous hope that we have in him. I want to create quickly a quiet moment. And if you're here this morning and you say, Brandon, I want to get in on that outrageous love. I thought that this was about me doing all of these little things just right. That's what I thought this whole Christian thing was about. But I recognize it's about that Jesus did everything just right. That Jesus paid the price. And he did it for me. And I believe that. I believe that when that new birth comes, that the Holy Spirit dwells within me. And I'm going to be able to live differently, not by my own will, but by, through the help and the empowerment and the grace of the Holy Spirit. The things that always trip me up and I'm afraid to follow Christ because I don't think I can get a win there, that the Holy Spirit's going to bring that win. It's not about me promising him I'm going to deal with this. It's about him promising you that he'll deal with it. And if you're here this morning and you want to say yes to that grace, I want you to just lift your hand up and we want to pray with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes, 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 yes. Believers, I want you to lift your voice with them. That wonderful moment of stepping over from death to life has already taken place.